one of the podcasts that I've listened to recently um, talked about uh, an anti-truth. Uh, the person that was speaking was saying there are truths, there are lies, and then there are anti-truths. And what he was trying to get at is that there are things in this world, there are thoughts, there are actions, that not only are they deceptive or lies, but they're the complete opposite of what the truth actually is. And we see this in our world today. We hear of people and we see structures and we hear uh, thoughts and we hear um, philosophies that not only is there untruth in them, but they're just complete opposite of what the world actually is as set up by God, how we are supposed to be, how we are supposed to think. An example of that, just an example of an anti-truth would be that human beings are basically good. If that's how we come at the world, if that's our philosophy, then you're going to see the world upside down. You're not going to see it correctly, but yet so much of thought, so much of philosophy is geared in that anti-truth. I am so thankful for the word of God. That God has spoken and God in his word, one of the things that God is doing by giving us his word is he is reorienting us. He is turning our thoughts and our philosophies back right side up so that we can see the world and one another and God for what it really for who he really is and what the world really is. I mean, think about it. Why did God have to give his people the Ten Commandments? Because because of sin, because of the fallenness of man, the world was being viewed in such a way. It was so disordered that God gave the Ten Commandments so that we could fix it. Jesus, as he came and as he spoke, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind and with all your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is a complete reorienting of how we often live life with ourselves at the center, that this is about me. This is about my happiness. This is about my glory. As we've been going through the book of James and as we've talked about the book of James as wisdom literature in the New Testament. The past two weeks, we have had two themes and today's going to be a third theme and we're going to see these themes come back up in James. And so it's not going to be an exhaustive study on our topic this morning. But what I want you to see is how James is reorienting us to how the world really is through the eyes of God, through the eyes of our creator. And two weeks ago, we looked at trials and when the world looks at trials, how do we look at trials? How do we look at hard things? A lot of times when we look at trials, we look at them as something to be avoided. Something to try to get around or we look at it. Maybe I'm being punished in some way because I'm going through this trial, this difficulty. Sometimes when we look at the trials, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, that we're tempted to numb the pain away. But James reorients us and says, you have been given trials to make you more like Christ. Or last week, as we talked about wisdom, 
Where does the world tell you that you should find wisdom? Within yourself? How things make you feel what you think is right, doing what is ever right in your own eyes, or maybe you should go on the Internet and look at some brilliant sage, some modern philosopher. No, James tells us if you lack wisdom, you ask God, reorient us, ask God. God is our father and he is willing and ready to give that to us. And today we are going to look at money. Really, we're not looking at money. We're looking at kind of how we view money. How we view the effects of having money or not having money. And oh, does the world have a lot to say about this, doesn't it? In fact, one of the images that I've thought of all week as I've been studying this passage is that so many of us have been guilty of looking at the world, looking at our pursuit of Money and status as climbing a what? A ladder. Rung by rung. Climbing a ladder. Trying to achieve. Trying to get ahead. And we've been tricked into this notion that like each rung that we get in this ladder provides us with more security. Maybe more status. Maybe gives us a another notch on our belt makes us more kind of prideful. But our text teaches us something different. Our passage today takes this whole thought and turns it right side up. And if you were here as we were going through the gospel of Mark, if you've been with us during this time, you'll know this is not a A new idea that Jesus does this. Jesus in his teaching reorients our life. Jesus often talks about money and status. And if you remember, one of the key figures in our study on the book of Mark was the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who comes to Christ and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lays out uh, part of the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler says, oh, I have done all that from my youth. And Jesus says, you have done well. One thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And it says that the man walked away saddened because he was very rich. He was dependent upon his treasure for his security, for his status, for his well-being, for who he was. And then Jesus utters this statement that I think is so countercultural to us today. He utters this statement how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And their minds were blown. We talked about this, right? Their minds were blown because in that day and age, I mean, this was a good man, he was doing good things, and in that day and age, They associated wealth with blessing. And we do this, don't we? So a good man with a lot of money, and Jesus is saying, it's hard for that man. It's hard for that man to get to heaven. You see, the anti-truth that I think that we all buy into, that we all buy into, is that money and status are the things that mean most in this world. 
This is an anti-truth. And the question that I have for you this morning is, are you uncomfortable? Yet. (laughs) You probably should be. In our day and age, you couldn't watch college football yesterday without being bombarded with the idea, with the philosophy. Money, status, things. I've said it before a couple of weeks ago and I'll say it again. If we polled our kids who are a microcosm of us and asked them what they want to do when they get out of high school and why... Money. What I want you to notice in this text, what I want you, I really want you to feel it in this text. I want you to feel God through his servant James reorienting you, reorienting me. Listen to this text again. Verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstances, the poor, is to glory in his high position. And if you're honest this morning, your response to this text is probably, what in the world is he talking about? The humble, the poor, and he's to glory in his high circumstance? I mean, what in the world is going on? The poor, especially in this day and age when this was written, the poor and the humble in circumstance had no voice, no power, no status. They were completely dependent upon the well-being of others. And you're saying that you are to glory. You're to glory in your high position. How many of us Believe that being poor or a person of humble circumstances would be the worst thing ever. It's a confusing text. Verse 10, the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Now, when you think of that, you might think what James is going to kind of throw out their next is, oh yeah, you know, those rich people that they're getting rich off the backs of others and they're, uh, you know, they're extorting and all of these sorts of things. But James doesn't go there. He doesn't talk about greed. He doesn't talk about oppression. He doesn't even talk about how they got their money. Listen to what James says. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like a flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises on in a, With a scorching wind and it withers the grass and the flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And we spend most of our time envying the stuff of the wealthy. And boasting in the things That we have. And I want to add a note to this that I think is important. Poor people often don't boast 
in their high position, as the text is going to tell us. And the next point, I, w- I want to say it's debatable. Hold, hold on for a minute. This point, of, I'm, I'm going to talk just for a brief second about when Casey and I were poor. But we're going to define that in a minute. And what I'm going to say is just for this moment, I want to say that we were poor. I, I, I didn't boast in my high position. You know what I did when I was poor? I wanted the stuff of everybody else. That my thought was, oh, if one day I can just get to that next rung of the ladder, things will be better. I was envious. I was jealous. I think I probably even talked poorly about rich people. Because I had a lot of contempt because they had things that I didn't have. See, I think there's this tendency when we read this passage to ask ourselves, what is James getting at? Maybe he's wrong. But I don't think so. So for a moment, you know, every week I've gotten my chair out. And I want to put somebody else in the chair this morning. Volunteers, just kidding. I want to ask the question, what if the rich young ruler came back to Jesus and Jesus was in a counseling session with the rich young ruler. And they had more conversation. What do you think Jesus would have said to the rich young ruler? Do you think he would have just said, stop it? Like we talked about last week. Do you think that he might say to the rich young ruler one of the lines that we hear so often today? And that is, hey, listen, you're fine just the way you are. I know I made I, I didn't mean to upset you earlier. You're okay. Excuse the behavior. <laughs> maybe. Maybe Jesus would have told the rich young ruler about the widow in the temple. Who dropped her two coins and talked about how glorious that was. How she was an example of how we are to live in the kingdom. Maybe Jesus would have told that story. Maybe Jesus would have retold or handed him the CD or the website to rehear the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Or maybe Jesus would have quoted the Psalms and the Proverbs where it says, It's better to be poor and wise than rich and foolish. think I think Jesus may have looked at the rich young ruler and quoted this text that we're looking at this morning I think Jesus in quoting this text this morning to somebody like the rich young ruler would have exposed exactly what was going on in his heart. And the reality that I don't want any of us to miss is that every single person in this room is more like the rich young ruler or the person of high circumstance, the rich man in the text, 
We are way more like the rich man than we are the poor man. Just the fact of being American puts us into the 10% category of richest people in the world. If you made this year or acquired more than, I think it was $1,200, you are in the top 10% in the world. And many of us are way, way, way beyond that. It is hard in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it is hard not to know where your next meal is coming from. We have resources that are phenomenal. We have people that are taking care of those who are downtrodden. It is hard to be like the poor that are talked about in this text. And so what I want us to do is not get in this mind frame, oh yeah, Lewis, you preach it to those other people, but that we really circle around and look at ourselves. What if we very soberly took a look at ourselves and realized how blessed we are financially? We put ourselves in this chair. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a month or two ago, when we were in between Mark and the book of James, we did a sermon on giving. And I'm going to stand by what I said then. There is nothing wrong with having money. First Timothy tells us it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's not having that's the problem. It's the desire of your heart and what you're pursuing. God blesses some financially more than others, and that's okay. That's not the problem. The problem is our heart. And the problem is staying in this place where we believe that what matters most about ourselves is how financially secure we are, or that we are so oriented towards climbing that ladder, climbing that next rung, that each time we go to grab, we don't realize that we're holding on to an idol that will one day wither and fade away. Test yourself this morning. Put yourself in the seat. And ask yourself if Christ told you, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. How would you respond? Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, do you know what that would mean? Wait, 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 Jesus. Do you know how hard I work for this? And you want me to give this to this person who didn't work nearly as hard? What does this reveal in us? What lie? What anti-truth? The goal of this text is for us to see the truth about ourselves, to see the truth about money, to reorient us in a way that we can live and move to the glory of God. Why is it hard for the rich person to get to heaven? They don't know their need. They bought into the lie of self-sufficiency. 
They're looking at idols and things of this world to complete them. Let's jump back into this text so that we can understand what James means so that we can find a way to reorient ourselves quickly. Look at verse 9. Again, notice the word brother. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. This word brother obviously is a familial term. He's in the family, meaning this is a Christian person, which gives us the hint of what James is talking about. And what he's telling us is that if you are in Christ, you have a high position. Meaning, if you're in Christ, you have recognized that you're a sinner. You have recognized that the wrath of God is hanging over your head. And God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross so that you would no longer have to bear the wrath of your own sin. How much is that worth? And it doesn't stop there. It says that not only that, but because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been brought into the family of God. So now we are brothers and sisters of one another. We are sons and daughters of the King. We have access to God. Last week again, we talked about that God, the God of the universe, has wisdom that if we ask, He's willing to give us. What is the price tag on that? And oh yeah, by the way, if you are in Christ, when you die after your short time on this earth, you get to experience relationship with Jesus forever. It should blow our mind. Aren't you glad that you're saved? Aren't you glad that you're saved? So you may say, okay, Lewis, I get that. But what about the rich man? And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he passes away. And I think it's the other side of the same coin. I believe when we look at this text and we look at the language that the rich man in this passage is a Christian as well. And he is to glory in his humiliation because there is only one way to a relationship with God and that's through humility. That's through knowing that I can't do it myself. I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't talk my way into heaven. I can't buy my way into heaven. My relationship with God is based on one thing, and that's Christ and His cross. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our need. Our humiliation. That we humble and that we confess. And we all know the verses, right? Our boast, our boast as Christians is in what? The crucified Christ, the cross and the work that Christ has done. If the gospel is true. If the gospel is true. How should this reorient our lives? How should it reorient our lives? It should change our relationship with money. That our pursuit in this world shouldn't be finances. It should be the glory of God. 
That relationship with money should change. There should be a difference in the way that we live in relationship with money and the way that the world lives. We should see that money has been given to us to display to the world that money's not our God, but God is. And so we use it in ways to bless and to further the kingdom. If the gospel is true, then our family, our crew, the people we run with, should not be defined by our socioeconomic class. Now, hear me out. We all live in communities, and we're all probably like the communities around us, and there are certain things that we like and we enjoy, but here's what I want to say. If you were to go on a mission trip and to see folks, some of our folks working in India, and you were to go and hang out with a Christian brother and sister who is in the lowest caste system, this is poverty that you can't imagine unless you've seen it. You should have more in common with that Christian in the low caste system than you should your unsafe neighbor. Thoughts, goals, dreams, purpose. If we believe this gospel, we see and recognize the tragedy that James writes about in this text. I want to read it again. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because, like flowering grass, notice it doesn't say riches, although riches will pass away. There's a temptation to preach this text and do the, the old joke about you can't take it with you, there's not a U-Haul uh, attached to a hearse, that sort of thing. But notice what James is saying. James is saying, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, notice again, the rich man in midst of his pursuits will fade away. The tragedy. If you are living disoriented, if you're living the life that is upside down, the tragedy that you're facing is not only this stuff that we're trying to accumulate will one day fade away, but you will fade away as well. The tragedy is not only what you're pursuing won't last, but what you're pursuing can destroy you. How many of us have an unhealthy relationship with money this morning? How many of us this morning are in the throes of climbing this ladder and all that we can see, all that we are doing is the pursuit of the next rung? The image of the ladder that I was kind of thinking through that I think God put on my heart this week is this whole idea, this, this fallacy of, I don't know about you, some of you may be really comfortable on a ladder and like climbing to 
large heights. But the higher you go on the ladder, the more unstable and the more dangerous it is. And yet we climb, we climb, we climb. How many of us this morning have bought into the lie that what we need, our deepest need right now, is just that next bump financially? How many of us, if Jesus confronted, would be like the rich young ruler and walk away sad, disheartened? See, there's a tendency for me to end the service right now. And that's not very joyful. And thank the Lord, I don't have to make anything up. To try to finish this sermon on a positive note. What Christ is calling us to. In the Christian life is better. Than finances. Is better than being wealthy. It's better than any joy that you get from getting to the next rung. Christ is calling us to joy everlasting. He's calling us into His grace, into His love, true joy and true happiness. So that our glory and our boasting are in things and pursuits that will last for eternity. This is what God is calling you into this morning. And again... Money is not the issue. It's you. It's you. In our, in our staff meetings, we, um, we have devotionals. And Gary just finished up. And I haven't assigned a new person devotionals yet. So last week, um, we looked at one of the things that I'm just doing personally. And that is reading the book of Proverbs along with studying in James. And so I, I read one of the Proverbs because I wanted to point out, and it was interesting, the discussion that happened around the table. That one of the things when you look at the book of Proverbs, that oftentimes it talks about two paths. Or in this particular proverb, it was two women calling out in the street, one of wisdom and the other of uh, whatever foolishness. And one of the things that we talked about is that, hey, there are two paths. There's not three. In the American church, I can only speak for the American church. The American church is really trying to forge a third path. And we're deceived. There's not a third path. There's not a middle road. You can't have it both ways. We're, we're either pursuing the things of God or we're pursuing the things of the world. One of those two things takes allegiance. Will you trust God? Will you let this text this morning reorient the way that you're viewing the world? How would your life change if you truly believed that more money does not mean a better life for you. How would your life change this morning? Practically. If you believed that more money didn't mean a better life for you.
how would your life change if you believed that more money wasn't the goal of your life? How would it change if you pursued your relationship with God like you pursue finances? Rich young ruler walked away sad. My prayer for us, my prayer for me, is that we are the kind of people, we are the kind of people who so see the joy of the Lord, the glory that belongs to Him, that we live a life in pursuit of that. And it's evident to the world. So that when Jesus, if Jesus were to ask us one thing you lack, that we say, easy, I'm all in. I'm all in. Brothers and sisters, are you all in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, I thank you for this text. Not because it's easy, but because it's true. God, I thank you that you love us so much that you give us texts like this that disrupt our thinking, that disrupt our way of living and point us to greater joy. The joy that this world points us to that supposedly comes from finances is no true joy. But joy is found in you. God, I pray that we would be a people. We would be a people that run hard after that joy. This is only possible through your son Jesus in whose name we pray.